I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the second ever Watty and Jack on Formula One podcast. Coming up on today's show, we talk Max Verstappen. If you want to go around the outside on the dirty bit of track and think you're going to stick it to Lewis and pass him and Lewis is going to lay down, dream on Max. Daniel Ricciardo. If I had to put my money right now in 2018 on which of the two Red Bull drivers would be the likely one to win a world championship, my money would go on Daniel Ricciardo. We look back at one of the greatest Formula One drives in history. I just felt very strong that particular day. I felt that I was going to beat him. And of course, they're in Nicky Lauder impressions. Oh, oh, what'd you do that for? Not very friendly. Well, in the last podcast, the first podcast, we had a big discussion about how you can't overtake in Formula One because of the aero. And whilst that's still true... We saw some good overtaking in the last two Grand Prix, would you say? Well, I think there was one driver who was outstanding. I mean, there were other overtakes. I mean, if you want to think of one that springs to mind, Fernando Alonso sticking it to Sebastian Vettel in turn two, which caused Sebastian Vettel to get on the radio and have a whinge, principally, I suspect, for the ear of Charlie Whiting, race director, to say, oh, that was unfair. Uh, and I'm no doubt that Fernando would have been on the radio as well saying, yeah, mega, <laughs> I love all that. Well, let's have a little discussion then about those last two Grand Prix. After the slightly, not boring Australian Grand Prix, that's not quite the right word, but certainly we had a lot of entertainment in Bahrain and a lot in the second half of China. But what I really want to get stuck into is how you do an overtake because I'm always surprised in F1 that these are the best drivers in the world the 20 best drivers in the world in theory they should all be able to overtake shouldn't they so why does Hamilton overtake and Ricardo can overtake everyone but but other but Bottas couldn't overtake um in in Bahrain at the end of the Grand Prix well first of all in my view that they are not the 20 best drivers in the world what, because you're still sitting here? No, no, nothing to do with that. <laughs> but I think that there are 20 drivers in Formula One, but they're not the 20 best drivers in the world in motorsport. There are outstanding drivers in other aspects of motorsport 
who, if you wanted to draw up a list of the top 20 racing drivers in the world, you'd probably put half a dozen Formula One drivers in, and then you'd look into other formulas, notably some outstanding drivers in NASCAR, some very good drivers in IndyCar, and that's just you know looking at three formulas. So there are a number of what I would describe as outstanding drivers in Formula One, but not everyone, in my view, is outstanding. And if they were there on merit rather than there because they've got a substantial backer, then they wouldn't be there. But Daniel Ricciardo's there on merit. Totally. And why his team haven't sat down and signed him up. I know they want to sign him up. They've spent all their dosh on this almost teenager called Max Verstappen on the basis that he's going to be the wunderkind for the future of, of Formula One. And they've left the guy who's actually winning Grand Prix and who understands how to win Grand Prix. And by understanding that you don't need to be the fastest guy God ever put breath into, that you can win Grand Prix and you can win a world championship. And they still haven't got them to sign a bit of paper. Now, maybe that's partly Danny, maybe that's partly the team. And maybe Danny's waiting for another opportunity in one of the two leading teams. But, you know, will that opportunity arise? He needs to be careful. He doesn't find himself in no man's land by not having a top team to drive for in 2019. I hope, I hope that both parties, principally at Red Bull and, and Danny, can work out something and give the driver the kind of respect that I think he deserves above and beyond the respect that the team already have for him. In other words, Max is not the number one driver on the team. He is not the natural-born leader. He's got many years left to develop into that. But in the meantime, he needs somebody to hold his hand and to teach him, if you want to win a Grand Prix or win a World Championship, stop trying to be the fastest guy in the world and proving it. But if you were Daniel Ricciardo then, in that scenario of Red Bull clearly favouring Verstappen with the massive contract and with, you know, the, the you know, he's clearly their sort of wonder kid, as you say, you wouldn't sign up to be his teammate, would you? Because you're you're on a hiding to nothing, aren't you? What's the what's the point? He's he's the favoured guy within the team. Well, he may be the favoured guy within the team because of the undoubted ability he has. I mean, for a young guy, his ability is stunning. His speed is stunning. But if you look at his results this year, Australia got slightly wrong-sided going into turn one by Kevin Magnussen. I mean, I don't even know if Max Verstappen has heard of Kevin Magnussen. <laughs> and then he spun a few laps later and compromised his race. The car got damaged. I think some of the aero was damaged. Go to Bahrain and tries to do a heavy hand on Lewis Hamilton in turn one. Wrong guy to try that maneuver on. And it showed an immaturity, in my opinion, in Max's ability to assess an opponent. There's some drivers you can do it with. Other drivers, you're not going to get away with it. And I think that Lewis was quite within his rights to stay where he was. Max swept across the front of him as if he was a bad smell. And it, as a result was, it was Max who went out of the race and Lewis continued on. And this was after he'd crashed in qualifying. Where did this mystery 150 horsepower suddenly... I mean, a Renault engine, I've never heard of them having an additional 150 horsepower. That one came out of the ether somewhere. Anyway, and then we go on to China. And, you know, again, pushing hard at the start. Made a good start. Made up ground. But then when he makes these, you know, I think, you know, 
I call them flashy overtaking maneuvers, trying to go around the outside of Lewis Hamilton, who clearly was on the back foot as he came out of turn six, but he was on the inside going into turn seven. Let me assure you, turn seven is a mega corner. It's a big downforce corner. There's fundamentally one line through that corner, and that's the racing line. If you want to go around the outside on the dirty bit of track and those rubber coming from the tyres, so it was going to be a dirty bit of the racetrack, and think you're going to stick it to Lewis for a second time in two races consecutively and pass him, and Lewis is going to lay down. Dream on Max! And, let me know, I haven't finished yet. Oh, right, I thought we were done. No, 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 no. Trying to pass Vettel. Vettel was driving a race. He was consolidating his situation. He took a late line into the corner. Max reprogrammed his little computer and saw the gap. But Max, never, ever, ever go for a closing gap because all that's going to happen is you're going to get involved in a collision. So why just don't you learn from your teammate, Danny Ricardo? He made two, I think, outstanding passes, two that I saw and maybe others that we didn't see. He got past Vettel into turn 14 at the end of the straight, came from a long way behind, and he did the same with Valtteri Bottas. Both drivers acquiesced, in effect, in allowing those passes to take place because both those drivers realized that, A, Ricardo's a great overtaker. Secondly, he was on a mission. He was, he was launched into those passes. But Ricardo was able to do that because Red Bull had changed onto the, onto the softer of the tires available. They'd used that safety car intervention to their advantage. And it gave Ricardo good speed off turn 13, particularly coming into turn 14. But he did all his braking in a straight line, Max. What's the secret, Max? What do you not get, Max? So there was something you said there is really interesting. The... They saw Daniel Ricciardo was coming and thought he's a good overtaker. How much does that actually play on your mind? If you're driving and looking in your mirrors, you see the helmet or the team say it's so-and-so coming and you go, oh, okay, well, I've got no chance of holding off this guy. Is that, does that happen? Well, in, I think in the case of Vettel, he's racing for a championship. Mm. So he would think, well, I'm not, I mean, I've led this race, but suddenly I'm now out of position. I'm, I'm off the podium in effect. Is it better for me to try and, and be bullish and fight Ricardo, Or should I just take the pain, lose another position, but finish the race and pick up points? Because finishing a race and picking up points is all a contribution to your total tally at the end of the year. It's not about just winning races. Winning races, in many respects, is the bonus. It's all the other events where you're not on the winner's podium. Those are the points that consolidate the wins. And it's very important that in every Grand Prix, you get into the points. Ideally, you get into the, onto the podium. Even better, you win the race. And I think Vettel would have taken that on board. In the case of Valtteri Bottas, he was castigated after Australia. He was going to be kicked out of Mercedes probably before the season ended. His Formula One career had been destroyed by what was a lackluster drive in Australia. But he came home. He did a, you know, a solid job. He again was thinking, well, will I or won't I take the risk and trying to get past Vettel on the last lap? And maybe because he wasn't self-confident or sure enough that he could make it cleanly and get the victory, he probably, and only rationalizing this, he probably imagined that I'll take the 18 points for second place, get points on the board, get points for my team, 
try to rebuild the, the perceived damage that he had done to himself in Australia. So that was, a, a, I think, a, a result for, for Bottas, which was a pragmatic result. It wasn't maybe the result that others would have gone for. And Danny Ricciardo said if he had been in that situation, he'd have gone for it. But it's all semantics. It doesn't mean anything at all. It just means Danny made the comment. When he bought us, was in that situation. When he bought us, could make that judgment. He made the judgment he felt was right at the time, and he got you know slayed for it as well. But the fact is, he got us eighteen points, and he rolled on to China, and he picked up more points, and he's earning points for himself quietly. He's still under the spectre of will he be replaced by Ricardo or what will Mercedes do? But actually, you never know. We're only three races in. It's so early to try and make judgments or outline what could be a possible driver lineup on any given team a year down the road. It is entirely conceivable that we will have a status quo in the top three teams in 2019 because Mercedes might decide that actually Valtteri Bottas has done a really good job for the team. He might even be a world champion for all we know. And likewise, with even with Kimi, Everybody's saying Kimi's last season, but Kimi's been pretty impressive to me. He's been unfortunate in, in, the, in, the, in the Grand Prix itself for maybe team reasons or maybe just in the wrong place at the wrong time, as Lewis was in Australia. Both those drivers lost out under the virtual safety car. And, and certainly in, in China, uh, Kimi again lost out. But he's doing a good job. And, you know... Would Ricardo fit comfortably as being the teammate of, of uh, Sebastian Vettel, bearing in mind in, in, in 2014, Vettel, I would say, tired after his four world championships, found Danny Ricardo hard to handle, and Danny handled uh, Vettel extremely well and beat him, in fact. Or would Ferrari rather stick with somebody who's becoming a senior citizen, hasn't yet got the beard or white stick, but, you know, going down that route? but still has got the capacity. And I think that Kimi, in himself, is a much happier person because I think he's got a solid and stable personal life. And I think that's all a contribution. And then that leaves Danny then trying to work out a deal with Red Bull or Red Bull trying to come up with a sensible package and, and not kind of subjugating him in a way sometimes where you know, the whole focus is on you know, this Dutch wunderkind who has yet to show... Actually, after 64 Grand Prix, is he, in real terms, the guy that can put together a championship over a 20 or 25 race season? That's a lot of Grand Prix, isn't it? That's, that's a decent amount of experience. I, I would have said so. In fact, the, 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 the stat was pointed out by my good friend, Nicky O'Lyder, the first honourable Irishman from Austria, <laughs> because of his deal with a well-known Irish whatever you want to call his airline. So Nicky even made the comment, he's not a kid. He's in his fourth season, or third and a half season, he's done 64 Grand Prix by the time he got to China. Where is the education? Now, if you're paying for that as a parent, you'd wonder what's going wrong. His dad, Joss, isn't paying. Somebody's paid lots of money to get Max Verstappen you know, contracted for a three-year term at a lot of money. So where is the return for the team? Three races, I wouldn't say three blanks, but not actually what I'd expect for a driver who should be making more progress aside from 
putting on flashy performances, you know, stunning laps in adversity or in extreme weather conditions. That's wonderful for, you know, for the enthusiast and all of us, but it's not what it takes to win a world championship. And, you know, I think back, and I hate to go back to the 70s, but in 1979, a driver called Jody Schechter joined Ferrari, teamed by a young hot rod called Gilles Villeneuve. And there's almost a kind of parallel between Jody and Danny Ricciardo and Max and Gilles Villeneuve. In Ferrari, Judy quickly clocked that Gilles was focused mainly on being the quickest guy in the world on four wheels, probably in his case and sometimes on three <laughs> wheels. And Judy just got on metronomically, putting points together, finishing races. Well, he only won one race in his championship year, but he won the world championship. And, and Gilles, who was unquestionably in that car, the quicker driver. Well, I mean, all I remember is in... I think it was in Zandvoort when he had a puncture and he drove around for a lap shredding tires and bodywork and goodness knows whatever else and comes in and stands up on the front of the car like some little Napoleon, you know, accepting the applause of the crowd who thought he was wonderful. Judy won a world championship, regrettably and sadly Gilles didn't. Another one that was said the other day was Andrea de Cesaris when Max Verstappen. Do you, do you buy, you know, very, very quick and talented undoubtedly but another one who never maybe put that talent to use or is that a bit of a stretch i think that's probably a bit of a stretch but certainly andrea you had a lot of speed in his first year but he also crashed a lot i think in 1981 he had either 17 or 18 accidents at some point or another over a grand prix season i mean sometimes it was two in a weekend sometimes he might have got through a weekend without one but anyway i think it was about 18 and he said, you know, it's not my fault. I'm not getting enough time in the car. The answer the team gave him was, well, Andre, if you'd stop crashing your car, <laughs> you, you would get more time in the car. Ah, 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 ah. But if I, you know, I don't get time in the car because whatever. It was a, you know, it was a logic only Andrea fully understood. When he went to Alfa Romeo in 1982, he actually put the car in pole position in, in Long Beach. And Andrea, I think, felt more comfortable in an Italian team because the empathy that he wanted and needed and the kind of putting an arm around him and, and almost babying him made him feel more comfortable. And I think all the way, and sadly, Andrea lost his life in a, a motorcycle accident in Rome a couple of years ago. I think he felt really, even to the day, his last days that McLaren had not helped him. Mm. But actually... He got as much help as he, the team could give him. It was more he wasn't able to help himself. I don't think that's the case with Max. I think Max is a more complete package and he's in a team, you know, it's an outstanding team, but still there is somebody needs to put their hand on his shoulder and say, Max, just think about what you're doing. Even Helmut Marko, who supports him through thick and thin, made criticism of what Max was doing because for the third race, he's thrown away certainly good points for himself, but for the team. And arguably, he threw away a victory. Because he threw for away sure, a one-two. It was a one-two. It was a Red Bull one-two. And he threw away probable victory, a certain second place. And I'll tell you what, teams begin to get a bit, you know what, 
when that is points, good points, because those points relate to their income streams as well as to a driver's championship uh, tally. So I think even Marco was beginning to sense, hold on a second, Max, you know, what are you think? What do you think you're doing? You know, to go along the, 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 the outside of Lewis and turn seven, I don't think even Daniel Ricciardo would have tried it, other than if you were at least, at least fully alongside and maybe half a car further ahead by the point, midpoint of the corner, you might, you might think you've got a chance, but not unless you're anywhere in, the, in that position. But Max just carries on because it's Max. You mentioned a moment ago, Andrea the Cesar's on pole in Long Beach, 82. The year later, 83, you started 22nd, Second, something which like is that. still the record so I believe, for the so furthest I believe. back win. At I mean, what point in that Grand Prix, because you, you, know, you were saying Bottas... You know, took those eighteen points and didn't feel the need to risk it. At what point in that Grand Prix did you not think, "Oh, I've got a podium here. I don't need to overtake every person on the grid. I'll just settle for third. Well, why settle for third when second and first were available? So, I mean, getting to second place was then, if you like, the point where my my focus really dilated, and Nikki was leading the race and I was second, and we'd gone through the field basically in tandem and I knew because he was ahead of me from the lights or the flag falling if I let him get a car between the pair of us then I would lose him so I had to keep in contact so every time he passed somebody I made sure my elbows were out and squeezed through as well and eventually towards the end of the race it was him leading in me a second I just felt very strong that particular day I felt that I was going to beat him uh, there were very few parts on the racetrack where you could execute a clean pass, and the best place was going to be at the end of the straight, going into a chicane, and eventually plucked up the commitment and caught Nicky slightly. He wasn't expecting it. Launched down the inside. Uh, I did lock up, actually, a, a wheel, which made the car jink towards Nicky, which he went, oh, oh, what'd you do that for? Oh, not very friendly. <laughs> And so you say plucked up the commitment when you went for it. I went were for you, it. Were you thinking this This is a bit 50-50? Well, the reason I felt confident in doing it is because I, Nicky, as a competitor, in my opinion, would not be the most difficult uh, to pass. There would be other drivers who would make your life more difficult. So who out there on the run-up to Nicky had you gone, okay, this is going to be tough was there alan jones out there was there well alan jones in fact wasn't in that grand prix but alan jones would be for example uh, i consider alan an outstanding racer as well as you know a race driver but he was a really you know tough competitor and there would have been others that might have tried to you know block you or do something like that but nicky never did that he was always extremely clean and very fair to race against and on this occasion you're know, going down into turn one again it's a straight line overtake not a closing gap, not around the outside or not up the inside. It was a straight line, and it was just a question of who was going to be better or, or later on the brakes, and could I get my car slowed down enough to make the apex and get into turn one? I achieved all three things. I, I braked Nicky. I got into turn one without locking up, and I got out of turn one. So happy days for me. And thereafter, I, I don't know what he did. I think he just said, okay, oh, you know, whatever his rationale is, he would take the well, the six points for second place in those days, and I, I got the nine points. 
did you do flashy overtakes or was that not your thing it wasn't what i'd call a flashy overtake it was what i would call a well considered and executed overtake of a you know a very competitive race driver who wouldn't have naturally wanted to lose the lead mm. but likewise would not have offered up some the resistance that certainly other drivers of this generation might have done but did you ever do flashy overtakes did you ever go around the outside of people at paddock hill bend and go oh that was really cool or or or, or was that not your style of overtaking if you were? i think i mean there may have been i don't recall just as we we're doing this interview yeah but principally the strength that i enjoyed was was the overtake into the corner because once you get alongside a competitor you take control away from them and then you can modulate your brake pedal to make sure that you don't let that other car get slightly ahead of you again in the hope that they might try and cut across the front. So if that is the case, then you just come off the brake and you just basically stay alongside one another. But you have got the line, you've got the corner, and then you can compromise them in mid-corner and on the exit of the corner so that they lose their momentum. They might try to do an undercut, but you make sure that you don't offer them up any of these opportunities. You could, you've, you've taken control and you control the situation. It's a very satisfying thing to do. Uh, particularly if you you do it well and you do it cleanly and you can execute it and move on. And certainly in 83, I mean, there's, I think I've seen in one of the, 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 the videos of the season and they focus on quite a lot of my passes. And I think in the opening Grand Prix of the year in Brazil, I passed a lot of people. And I mean, by today's standard, it looks pedestrian because the cars were slow by today's standards. The other thing that does help a great deal is if you have a good car, and you know at this time the McLaren in race trim was a very good car. We had good grip. We had, the car was easy on its tires. We got it to work in the race context because we weren't putting energy into the tires. In qualifying, the car was always a light car on its tires. So in qualifying, we were just getting surface temperature in the tire. We weren't getting what I would call core temperature which you do with full fuel tanks when there's more weight in the car, which then puts more energy into the sidewall and gets the carcass of the tire and the whole tire warmed up. So in the race situation, we were much, much better than we were relative to qualifying. And it was a good car. We had great brakes. We were running carbon fiber brakes when people were still in transition from the traditional steel brake to carbon brake. We had a, we had a really good race car. And that also helps. But if, if you haven't got this, maybe to call it a skill or, or an, an insight into how to use those advantages to overtake a competitor, and I'm not talking about somebody you're lapping, I'm talking about in a race context. You know, I seem to have that and I, and I enjoyed using it and it gave me a lot of satisfaction to, to make good, what I thought, good passes, executed passes and, and think, move forward. And do you think going forward drivers after Long Beach, for example, would people, do you think, see you in their mirrors and think, okay, this is the guy who wins from the back of the grid. Uh, have you have you won the overtake even before you've gone into the overtake? I think that to some degree that would, would have an effect. You know, eventually they would say, oh, here he comes again. Where did he start in the grid? Four, sixth through, seventh through of the grid. Here he is giving us a hard time. You know, I go back to the fact that you know the McLaren in 81, 2 and 3 was a very good car and a particularly good race car. So we were able to, both Nicky and myself, 
make good use of that. And we won a number of races against what were potentially much quicker cars. The other element, of course, was you know in those days, and particularly with the turbos, the reliability factor was poorer. So, first of all, they couldn't run with the, the horsepower they did in qualifying, which gave them a big advantage in qualifying. So they had to back off the turbos to get some reliability. Also, they were heavier statically at the start of a race because they had more fuel on board, because they used more fuel. So the equation between qualifying and race equaled out. But when you have a car as the McLaren was, which was an excellent race car, and if you knew, if you had the ability and knowledge how to make use of it, when it came to overtaking, it made it a pretty effective package. So, wrapping up, if you were Daniel Ricciardo right now, would you sign up for another Red Bull contract? Or would you be going for, you, you want a Mercedes or you want a Ferrari drive? I think it's a difficult situation. I think the whole thing at Red Bull will hinge on Red Bull themselves, the management of Red Bull, actually pedaling back a bit from Max. Give Max actually more space and time to develop as a racing driver, not just as a quick guy. And, I mean, make make Ricardo feel that, actually, in many respects, he is their world champion hope. I mean, look, you're going to see outstanding performances from Verstappen as the season progresses. He will win Grand Prix. And maybe he'll go on to a, win four or five or six Grand Prix. But... Will he win a world championship? And I think where Ricardo's concerned, if I had to put my money right now in 2018 on which of the two Red Bull drivers would be the likely one to win a world championship, my, my money would go on Danny Ricardo because I think he has an, a more innate understanding of what it takes to start on the third row of the grid as he did do in China and work his way through the field and understand that the, the, you win a Grand Prix because you're the guy that takes the checkered flag. You're not the guy who sets the fastest race lap or who puts on a virtuoso, spectacular overtakes, which people go, oh my God, I can't believe he's just done that or gotten away with it. You make everything. It's a calculation. You've got to think about it, calculate it, execute it in a, in a, in a sort of maybe a cold way. But that's the satisfaction as a driver and and that's the appreciation, ultimately, that a team will give. And I, I would like to think that there would be um, an interesting conversation taking place at Red Bull between the two parties as to where and what each is seeking from one another. And I think that Red Bull can see clearly they've got a guy who won that race. They've got another guy who should have won that race, arguably. And what did he do? He banged into, banged into Vettel, spun, got a 10-second penalty. He almost had a collision, went off track with Lewis. That is not how you put a championship together. Watty and Jack on F1. Well, that just about brings us to the end of the show, I think. Thank you very much, John, for all your insight. Thank you very much for listening. Hit the subscribe button because we'll be back in the future at some point. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 